You know, Rob, with the uh, advent of WandaVision, which I thought was bloody fantastic, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which started off good but ended great in the last three episodes. I really enjoyed it a lot. Marvel and Disney Plus as a whole is really on a roll. Of course, the next big thing we've got coming up is Loki. Now, Loki was scheduled, it seems like, forever from now for a June 11th, but news has just come out. They have officially announced that they are moving up the release date of Loki from June 11th to June 9th. In a new video that uh, that they put out today on Marvel's official Twitter, we've got Wednesdays are the new Fridays. Mark your calendars for new episodes of Marvel Studios' Loki streaming Wednesdays uh, starting on June 9th for Disney+. Plus. So not only are we getting this show earlier than we thought we were going to get, a couple days early, which is always good, they're actually changing it up now. And instead of Thursday nights at midnight for us or Fridays, they're now going to release on Wednesdays. And Rob, I was telling you before the show started today, I'm a little torn on that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit torn because on the one hand, uh, I mean, what's Wednesday, Friday, whatever, big difference. But, you know, Mandalorian has aired on Fridays. Mandalorian season two aired on Fridays. WandaVision aired on Fridays. Uh, Falcon, the Winter Soldier. It just, it's kind of become a nice little, I don't know, uh, routine that when the new Disney Plus show comes out, it's on Friday. I mean, look, ultimately it doesn't really matter. We're going to get to watch it when we watch it and that's all good. Uh, So anyway, Rob, you heard about this. They've moved Loki up a couple days and it's a new day. It's no longer going to be Fridays. It's now going to be Wednesdays. How do you feel about this? Well, you know, I kind of like my little Friday morning coffee and a new show. Or I'd stay up Thursday night and after midnight watch something debut. I don't know about I don't know about this midweek thing, because if it moves to Wednesday, does that mean I can watch it Tuesday? At midnight, at midnight? probably, yeah. I mean, see, my my thing about that, I, I I love these show debuts kind of that signify the end of the week, going into a weekend. It feels like, John, if we've done a job here that's put on some good shows, I feel like it's our just reward for bringing entertainment news to the world the way we do. And now <laughs> we're not done bringing that entertainment news if it's midweek, because who knows what's going to happen? For the next two days. And I, I feel like we're getting a premature reward now. Premature reward. I like that. But listen, with the spots we've been getting, I mean, it doesn't matter. You could put this thing on and Sunday at 3 a.m. in the morning. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about Loki. The new spots have been a lot of fun. The, the scope of this show looks like it could be getting bigger and bigger. I love being able to laugh at the performance of Owen Wilson again, because, you know, with with his personal issues that he had a number of years ago, it's, and I love Owen Wilson. It's been difficult to laugh along with him. Now I feel like we can again. Lots of things to look forward to. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this new date change for Loki? We are getting it a few days earlier, but we're going to get it on Wednesdays instead of Fridays. Do you think this is a world of difference? Do you think it's no difference whatsoever? Somewhere in between? How do you guys feel about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, 
Let's now move into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics on the John Cambia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you, you come across a big topic, issue, or story that you think we should have as a main topic on the show, simply go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's completely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campius Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Christopher D. And Christopher D. writes, Have you heard a second Tom Hanks film, Bios, has been sold to a streaming service? Like last year's Greyhound, it was sold to Apple TV+. The film is a sci-fi thriller about the last man on Earth. I can see Greyhound being sold to Apple TV Plus since it was originally scheduled to open early last summer, but the movie theater outlook has been much brighter since late March. So Universal selling BIOS off to a streaming service makes it seem like they know it's not an especially good film or they would have kept it in theaters. What? are your thoughts. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Christopher. And yes, last year, of course, we had the Tom Hanks uh, war film, naval at sea war film, Greyhound, that was supposed to be theatrical. Of course, the world was turned upside down last year, and it, it ended up on Apple TV+. And you know what? It was just as well, because frankly, I didn't like Greyhound. I, I love Tom Hanks. It pains me to say that, but I didn't think Greyhound was all that great, to be yeah. honest with you. I, I thought it was kind of a trudging bit of a movie with some really good moments, but that's what you have. And now another one of his movies that was called BIOS, it's no longer called BIOS now, is being bought up by Apple TV again. But it's not Universal that's selling it to them. This comes to us from Variety who writes, Insider suggests that the pick was sold to Apple TV Plus due to the impaired theatrical landscape. Though the movie theater business appears to be on the mend after nearly a year of COVID-19 related closures, some executives think Finch, that's the new name of the movie, Finch. It's no longer called BIOS, it's now called Finch. Some executives think Finch will be better served on a streaming service given the crowded release schedule in 2021. Though nothing is official, the film likely won't play on the big screen at all. That comes to us from the good folks over at Variety. What's interesting here about this is, uh, number one, it wasn't Universal. Universal had the distribution rights, but then the distribution rights went back to the production company. The production company has then resold them to Apple TV Plus. And Rob, it's really interesting that they're saying that probably the reason this thing is moved off is because of something that you and I talked about quite a bit last year, which is the crowded landscape of 2021. Because yep. you and I talked about this, was that not only is 2020 getting screwed up, we said at the time, because everything's having to move, this is really going to affect a lot of movies in 2021. Because... Over the years, more and more movies get released every year as it is, and now we're going to get a whole bunch of migrants coming over from 2020 movies into 2021, and you and I said it's going to create some nightmare scenarios, and it's going to cause a logistics and a scheduling nightmare for a lot of things, and it looks like this new film, Bios, or as it's now called, Finch, may be the latest one of those, and I find that interesting, and I don't think we've heard the last of it. 
I think we're probably going to hear over the next couple of months that some other films may be scheduled to open anywhere between August and December may bump into 2022 as well, because they're just realizing it's just too crowded of a landscape right now. Getting to the movie itself. The movie sounds interesting. It's Tom Hanks. He is a national treasure. He's one of the greatest of all time to ever do it. One of the very, very few, I think, I, I can't remember the last actor besides Tom Hanks to win Best Actor at the Academy Awards two years in a row. I can't yeah, remember I the last time. I mean, I, I I know Ford, like, How Green Is My Valley? I know he won it. He won Best Director two years in a go, like, back in the 30s or 40s or something like that. But it, it's he's in rare, rare company. It's going to go on to Apple TV+. Plus. I got to admit, that's not a huge encouraging thing for me after seeing what happened with Greyhound. Anyway, Rob... You're seeing this. What do you think about The Sounds of Finch? And what do you think about the moved Apple TV Plus and the circumstances surrounding it? Well, you know me, the two words science fiction, when you put those together, you can't keep me away. <laughs> so uh, Tom Hanks obviously is somebody who is a imagination connoisseur himself. He was one of the producers of From the Earth to the Moon. In fact, he used that to get it made, which is one of my favorite TV miniseries of all time about the Apollo program. And the fact that he's starring in, I mean, he really hasn't, hasn't done a big science fiction movie and I know he's a big fan. So I'm curious to see what it is. So I'm, I'm in man. Count me in. Uh, Let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You mentioned he's not really been in any big science fiction movies and I, I really can't think of a lot either. Would you consider big a science fiction movie? I've, I've struggled this now because, you know, my wife, Anne, big is her. What Star Wars is to me, what Star Trek is to you, big is to my wife, Anne. But I but I caught myself wondering about that before. Is, would you consider big a sci-fi film? No, I, I would absolutely consider it a fantasy film because, you know, science fiction always sort of the best science fiction has some kind of semblance of scientific plausibility in it. And and. The thing about big is it's literally about you make a wish. So to me, it's it's almost one of the I would say that big is one of the great fantasy films of all time. You know, I, because I like that, that distinction, that idea of wish fulfillment. And, you know, it's it's and plus that film like Back to the Future is a near perfect screenplay, mm. has a near perfect screenplay. I mean, that film is. Man, it has lost none of its power. It's a wonderful, wonderful film that is completely made by his performance. Absolutely. Question is here for you guys. What do you think about the sounds of BIOS, now known as Finch, being moved over Apple Plus? What do you think about the circumstances, you know, uh, claiming the crowded 2021 schedule? What are your expectations for it? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down... Let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Arking, who writes, Hey, John. Well, it looks like the end of an era. Tom Cavanaugh and Carlos Valdez will leave The Flash after season seven. That, of course, is Wells and Cisco. Uh, the CW hasn't been the same since Arrow ended, and I feel like this is a hint that Flash will end soon, too. It's a shame that Wells and Cisco will be gone since they were two of my favorite characters. What do you think? Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in, Kyle. And yeah, listen, I was a big doubter of the CW Arrowverse right from the beginning. Like when they first announced they were going to be doing an Arrow show, 
I thought it sounded like a lame idea. I thought this is going to be super cheap and super bad and all that kind of stuff. This is going to be terrible. And then lo and behold, Arrow came out. And at least for the two and a half, first two and a half seasons, I absolutely loved it. Then they did a guest spot on Arrow of a Barry Allen character, who is, of course, Flash. And then the announcement came that they were going to do a Flash series. And again, I doubted it. So this sounds bad. You're not going to be able to do this properly. This is a silly concept on CW. Well, the show came out and I ended up really enjoying it. And I still watch it today. I think I'm pretty much all caught up on the show right now. I might be one episode behind, but I've really enjoyed it. But here's the thing. As much as I have loved Grant Gustin as Flash, and he's done a great job, Tom Cavanaugh as Wells and Cisco have been two of my absolute favorite characters, pieces of the puzzle to this show since the incarnation of Flash. Actually, there was a stretch there, I think it was last year, where Cisco, they said Cisco was away in Atlantis doing some research. And I had a hard time watching the shows without Cisco. I'm not saying Cisco's the most important character in the show. I'm just saying that when you took that ingredient away from this delicious Flash pie, it did not taste the same. And I had a hard time getting through those episodes that they didn't have Cisco on there. And of course, Tom Cavanaugh, good Canadian kid, by the way, with all the various characters he has played from Eobard Thawne to uh, the various Wellses and all that kind of stuff, Sherlock Holmes and everything else. They've really added a dimension to it that has just made it a delightful, fun, enjoyable, light show to watch. With the two of them leaving, yeah, to me, pull the plug on the show. I know they've already greenlit it for another one more season, maybe even more after that, but they've already greenlit it for season eight. But honestly, to me, if you're losing both Kavanaugh and Cisco, just pull the plug on the show. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant who write, uh, while they have been a part of The Flash since the beginning, why are they departing the show after seven years? With most actors' contracts, the networks usually sign talent anywhere between five to seven years, with the latter being the most common option. In Kavanaugh's case, that's Wells, the actor was actually going to leave uh, after The Flash Season 6. For Valdez, at Cisco, it seems that he is just finishing out his seven-year contract and is ready to move on to new creative opportunities. So that comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant. So that's why they're moving on. I, I Look, Rob, I've always said actors are replaceable. Everything on a film set is replaceable. The director is replaceable. Screenplays can be replaced. Your cinematographer can be replaced. Actors can be replaced. So it feels very odd to say that this news just leaves me feeling I don't, I will have no interest in watching this show after this season is done, knowing these two key components to the show aren't going to be there. So I, I don't know. It just feels like they should pull the plug or they should have. Look, one more year, guys, back up that Brinks truck full of gold. Well, it, these guys aren't exactly Hugh Jackman, but or you know, back up that truck full of bronze. Let's say bronze and dump it on and say, look, we'll give you a hefty raise for one more year. Let's finish out flash strong. Let's cross the finish line. We started this show with you guys. We've got one more year to go. Let's finish. Do something to make it work. Uh, otherwise, to me, just pull the plug on the show. I don't know, Rob, you hear about this. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's such integral parts of that show. I mean, I guess you could go on. 
But it seems like, you know, when, I don't know, NYPD Blue bought, brought on Mark Paul Gosseler <laughs> to be the, the new detective, it's, I, you know, I guess you could, but, but is it the same show anymore? I mean, you know, I guess round out that streaming package. Everybody gets paid another year, and that's a good thing. But like you said, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just not the same. It, it just feels odd. I, I don't know. I, I just don't understand why if you've got one more season to go and you have two original members of the cast, cross the finish line with them, figure out a way to make it work or just pull the down. I don't know. Anyway, guys, question is, how do you feel about this? Maybe you're loving the flash and you think it's, it'll be just fine without those guys. As long as Grant Gustin is still there, who is a great lead for the show, or maybe you're feeling like me, like either find a way to get them on or just pull the plug on the show at the end of seven. How do you guys feel about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets sent to us by Sebastian Dietz, who writes, Hey, John and Rob, greetings from Germany. On the show the other day, you noted when wondering that there are a few movies we know are coming missing from Marvel's latest trailer. Since this was a trailer honoring the movies, do you think that Blade and Deadpool 3 could go directly to Disney Plus? This would also go around the R rating issue and draw more people to the service. All right, that sent us from Sebastian. Um, it's an interesting question to brought because Rob, he's right. The other day we were talking about this new Marvel spot that they put out, celebrating returning to the movies and also then giving us the lineup of all their films. And we noted that notable by their absence were a couple of key projects. Blade was not a part of that. Right. Deadpool 3, which we know they're going to be doing. That's been made official. That wasn't a part of the announcement. Uh, nothing X-Men related was a part of the announcement. Captain America 4, which they just talked about the other day. That came out in the major trades. Captain America 4. They weren't there. Now, Sebastian is correct. The main gist of that thing was all these movies that are going to theaters. Could it be? Because a lot of people start asking the question, Rob, why wasn't Blade in there? Why weren't X-Men in there? Why wasn't Deadpool? Why wasn't Captain America 4? Could it be, because it's not a bad theory that Sebastian came up with, could it be that these things are destined for Disney Plus? Let's address one thing first. You mentioned that, well, it helped them get around the R rating. Rob, I don't care what they say. Deadpool 3 ain't going on Disney Plus. Right. They're not putting Deadpool 3 on Disney+. Plus. I mean, I, I, I think we understand that. Until they create an, an, an adult's vault area, it would probably be just a, destined for Hulu whenever it is ready for that. So I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think Blade is destined for a Disney+. Plus. Um, I don't think uh, X-Men... Although, you know, there's X-Men is an entire cinematic universe by themselves. So you could do a lot of things. Theatrical, Disney+, Plus, a lot of things like that. Um, but none of that. Now... After we did that show, Rob, I reached out to somebody I know um, a little bit more inside the situation than we are and asked, you know, hey, just curious. Uh, I have a feeling it has something to do with films that'll be ready by 2023, but just curious what's going on. Why, you know, you had all these great things and it was awesome. Loved it. But why wasn't there more? This is what I had written back to me. Um, this is just a, a piece of what was written back to me. 
It's basically the same reason Avengers 5 and Eternals 2 weren't announced. They're only announcing those films up to 2023 that have verified release dates. There are over 20-plus projects on the board. Let me read that one part because there's two very interesting things here. It's basically the same reason Avengers 5 and Eternals 2 weren't announced, which we all know there's going to be an Avengers 5 and there's going to be an Eternals 2. Uh, they were only announcing those films up to 2023 that have verified release dates. There are over 20-plus projects on the board. Now, of course, not all of the things in that Marvel announcement had verified release dates, unless they're just not telling us about the release date for Fantastic Four. Everything else had the release dates. The Fantastic Four screen did not. But I think it's safe to assume that Fantastic Four is getting a 2023 release date because they, because really the last one they had up there, I think, what was the final film before? Was it Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Was that the last one on the list before Fantastic uh, Four? Well, yes. Yes, I, I believe I it think, was. I think it was. So that would that's relatively early 2023. So Fantastic Four could come out like August 2023 and could be in there. And maybe there's even some other things coming maybe in later 2023, but they were only announcing them up to a point. So anything that comes after that, they're not ready to announce right now. And that's yeah. fine. They don't have to blow their proverbial load like right now. Here's our complete plans up till 2035. They, they don't need to do that. So that's kind of understandable because, look, obviously, they're still doing Blade. There was some news yesterday about them looking for a director for Blade. Obviously, they're doing another Deadpool. That's been made official. So it's just that they were only absent because they didn't fit inside that time window that they were doing the announcements up to. So I think that's pretty clear. What is also very interesting, and it's not surprising at all, when they say they got like 20 projects on the board, when you understand, Rob, that you know Feige has often said he likes to keep his plans fully five years ahead. And you look now between Disney Plus and the theatrical releases, how many projects we're getting each year. We're getting like, eight, nine, 10 projects a year for them to say, we've got 20 projects on the board. It's actually not that much when you consider how much content they're cranking out there. Anyway, Rob, uh, you heard that one explanation. What do you think about that? And, and when do you think we might start hearing things about, because we're getting close, Rob, to that end of that five-year window when Kevin Feige said, no X-Men or Fantastic Four till five years. By the time Fantastic Four comes out in 2023, it will be outside of that five-year window. But when do you think we might hear announcements for these various projects? Well, I mean, obviously, they've they've dropped a huge slate on us. I mean, we knew these things were coming, but they keep refining what those things are. And while these movies are 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 being made and coming out, they want to be generating excitement for them. But at the same time, all of these movies have been in active development this whole time. They know what Blade's going to be. They know what Fantastic Four is going to be. They even know what the X-Men are going to be. And I think that they're, you know, they're very methodical and they're unfurling this plan. I wouldn't be surprised if if 2023 becomes the year where, you know, we're on the we'll be on the downside of of phase four. And we'll we'll be looking for a wrap up to that. And then they're going to have to tell us what 2024 and 2025 are going to be. So I would imagine we're going to hear plans. We'll know all about the Fantastic Four. And I wouldn't be surprised if we know all about the X-Men sometime in 2023. Not in 2022, though, because there's just there's too many things coming out. There's too much stuff happening. And I think whatever's going on. Like with the Avengers, John, 
they were leading up. They knew. Remember, all the way back to what did we see? Thanos was in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. That was the first time we saw yes. him at the end of that movie. Well, technically, the first time we saw him was at the uh, was in the post credit scene in Avengers. But yes, we we got dialogue from him in the first Guardians. Right. I, that, I guess that's right. Which means they were planning pretty far ahead. So I I would imagine they're planning even further ahead now because they know of what they know what they're doing. So I don't think we're going to get any news necessarily. We'll get we'll probably get Fantastic Four news, but I'll bet. By the end of 2022, we'll probably because Blade is opening up. They've already given us Agatha Harkness in WandaVision, which brings in the whole supernatural element to the MCU. I mean, she's a witch with powers. We already know. So Blade is the next logical advancement of the idea of the supernatural in the MCU. So and Mahershala Ali He's not getting any younger, and he's no necessarily a spring chicken. I would think that they would want to get in on that action so we get uh, three Blade movies sooner rather than later. So I would imagine we'll get Blade news first, Fantastic Four news second, and X-Men news third. And I would expect it to begin in 2022, but not 2021. I agree. I I think that's a good observation. Question is for you guys. What do you think about all this and the upcoming projects we have? What are some other projects that you guys would like to see? What do you guys think? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And this is kind of an off the top because this kind of just came out this morning. Many of you guys know that a while ago, it was announced that J.J. Abrams is going to be shepherding a brand new Superman project. They brought on a screenwriter, black screenwriter, and I'm forgetting his name. I always mispronounce his name. Tanahasi Coates. Thank you. And the speculation, although it was only speculation at the time, the speculation began that the next Superman that they're going to do will be a black Superman. Now, we have often cautioned on the show, listen, there's been like no real hard report that says it will be. It very well could be a a white Superman again, but it looks like it is going to be a black Superman. We just got this news from the Hollywood Reporter that is saying that Warner Brothers right now is now in the midst, in the search for a black actor and a black director to play the new Superman in J.J. Abrams' uh, Superman thing. This comes from The Hollywood Reporter writes, With that, a whole new guessing game is kicked off centered on who will play the Man of Steel, and arguably more pressing, who will direct? Sources say J.J. Abrams, who is producing the film, is not among the many possibilities being considered. When Warners announced in February that celebrated author Tanessi Coates is writing the screenplay and Abrams is producing, uh, it did not address the matter of directing. But insiders say that Warner Brothers and DC are committed to hiring a black director to tackle what will be the first cinematic incarnation of Superman featuring a black actor, with one source adding that putting Abrams at the helm would be tone deaf. I don't know that I agree with that statement, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But I am here to tell you the two reasons why this news is awesome. That this news is not just good, this news is awesome. Buckle in, and here we go. Here's the two reasons why this news is absolutely phenomenal. All right. Number one, and to a lesser degree for my own excitement, 
is that it is giving us a new look at Superman. You know, for a long time, just one of the reasons I've really enjoyed the new Lois and Clark show, which color me shocked because I had no interest in that show. None. And then I started watching it because you guys, one of the reasons I really do enjoy this new show, shockingly and surprisingly so, is because it's a very different kind of story for a Superman story. It's it's the story of a man who's struggling with what does it mean to be a parent, to be a husband, and to be the savior of the world. All at the same time, focusing a lot on the parental stuff. And like, I have just found that that different look, that different take, that different approach to the Superman story and lore, I have really gotten caught up in it. And I love it. And I cannot wait for this show to come back. I never imagined that their jobber Superman would be somebody I'd be excited about. But here I am. I have loved what they've done with this show. Rob, you know that in the comics, there is Calvin Harris. Calvin Harris in DC Comics is Black Superman. And he is not Kal-El. He is Kal-El. Spelt the same, no dash in between. So the regular Superman is Kal-El. This is Kal-El, who comes from Krypton, landed on Earth, raised, and... Not only is he Superman, he's also president of the United States. Yep. This is this is all in DC Comics. You guys can all go read on it there. And my here's my so I I I think it's exciting that they're going into different areas of the DC universe to try different things. I love the idea of bringing in a different approach to a story, whether that's focusing on the fatherhood or whether that's say what would have happened if this alien organism who is neither black nor white, but if this alien organism from another world, instead of having the appearance of a white Caucasian human had the appearance of an African-American human, how would that be different? How would that change the story? I'm curious about that. I think it's a neat approach. So that's reason number one. I'm excited. And I think this is great news because it's a different approach to the story, still based in comic book lore. And it's just a different way of approaching the story. I think that's exciting. But there's another reason, Rob, why to me this is outstanding news. Outstanding news. And that is this. If they are indeed, as it looks like it's now official... They are indeed doing a black Superman. Whether it is Calvin Ellis, which I believe, I believe it's what they're going to do. There's been no official word. There are some reports, just so people know, there are some reports going out there that it's still going to be Clark Kent. Those are not, that's not from any of the major trades that I understand, nor is it from any official source. But whether it is Calvin Ellis or not, and I kind of believe they'll do Calvin Ellis. Maybe they'll just say it's still Clark Kent. And, you know, again, it's instead of an alien organism who just happens to, you know, coincidentally have the appearance of a Caucasian human, he's going to have the appearance of an African-American human, whatever. Whether it's Calvin Ellis or Clark Kent, here's why this is awesome. Because it means that this Superman, like Robert Pattinson's Batman, is not a part of the DC mainline universe, which means... Ready? Drum roll. Henry Cavill could still be Superman in other DC movies. 
Now, you guys know Henry Cavill is my all-time favorite Superman. I get a little bit excited when we talk about Henry Cavill Superman. But either way, if this Superman is Calvin Ellis, it's going to be a different universe. If it's a black Clark Kent, because this alien organism who is neither black nor white just coincidentally looks like an African-American, well, that's not the same Superman that we've had in the mainline DC universe so far. So that means it's probably going to be a Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves type situation where... Yeah, that's Batman, but it's a different universe. It's a different reality, Batman. That this would be a different universe and a different reality Superman, which means that in this main DC universe, Henry Cavill may still be our Superman. Now, let me be very, very clear here. I'm speculating the fuck out of this. Like, all right, so let's be very, very clear. I'm absolutely speculating on this. But I think that means we get the best of both worlds. We get a character who's been done the same bloody way for 60 years, done in a brand new kind of a way to tell the story from a fresh perspective, and they get to try something new. Great. But it also opens the possibilities that we still get to have Henry Cavill as Superman at the same time. So, look, I don't know what the grand scheme and what the overall big plan is that Walter Hamada has on there, but I see a lot of potential for a lot of really, really great stuff. And by the way, let me just throw this out there. I have yet to hear one good reason. There hasn't been. There has not been one good reason that I've heard from anybody about why they shouldn't try a Superman movie where this alien organism from a different universe happens to have the skin pigmentation of an African-American human instead of the skin pigmentation of a Caucasian human. I haven't heard one good reason except for, it's how they've always done it. That's not an argument. That's not a good, that's not, that's not a good reason. It's how they've always done it. It's not a reason. There's no reason he can't be from a, from, uh, with a different skin pigmentation. So I'm excited because it's a different take on the story, and I'm also excited because it still leaves for me a Henry Cavillite, the smallest possible window that we could have both, and we could still possibly have Henry Cavill as Superman. So to me, this is exciting news. I know, Rob, you heard about this. What's your take on it? Well, along with Calvin Ellis, there's also a character named Val Zod, who is another black Superman in the DC universe that I'm I'm fond of. I, I think, look, after we've seen the Joker which is a universe unto itself, I think doing various examinations of iterations of DC characters as one-offs is a very valid, very exciting way to go. And, you know, like you said, this is, there's no reason why you can't explore the concept of what it means to be Superman in the, uh, with different, uh, uh, whether, whatever you want to do. And I think this are, these are characters that exist within the DC universe, and I think it'd be quite interesting to see how that would be handled. I mean, how interesting would it be that an extraterrestrial from a planet comes down to Earth who's never once considered his skin color to be a, any kind of a problem and lands on a primitive planet where people are, you know, racists? And what do you do when you're in a position of being the savior of that planet and many people around the planet hate you simply because the way you look. I mean, there's some really interesting social commentary that I think can be made there. So I'd be all for seeing a movie like that. And, you know, knowing that it doesn't have to be a part of the DC universe, but is an examination of the idea of Superman without like people going, well, you know, it's not canon or whatever. Knowing Henry Cavill can come back. 
I think it's the best of both worlds, really, because as long as we get again, you know me, I, I, I hate putting agendas before character and story. But as long as your character and story are great and that's where all of this comes out of and we get a great movie out of it, I'll be curious to see where they take it. Well, I again, I, I just think there's a lot of possibilities here. But either way, Rob, would you agree with me that either way, whether it's Valzad, whether it's Calvin uh, Ellis, whether it's a different skin pigmentation, Clark Kent, that since we have in our main DC Universe storyline, we've already had this one Superman. Do you agree with me that whatever way it appears that this Superman will be told in such a way as the Robert Pattinson Batman, this is going to be a separate universe in its yeah. own isolated world? What do you see as the advantages of that? Well, because you free yourself of, of expectations of the audience. You also free yourself of any kind of continuity that you're supposed to adhere to. And you can tell a story that is, well, your own. You're not tied down to any previously existing iterations of things. And I think that's very freeing from a storytelling standpoint. And, you know, like, look, in my mind, whoever it is, I want to see Michael B. Jordan playing this character just because I love Michael B. Jordan. Right. And, of course, Jordan's uh, already denied that he would be doing it. He's, he's, he's yeah. Jordan's already shot that down, unfortunately. I mean, yeah. it's funny. There's people like Boss Logic who've actually done artwork of Michael B. Jordan as Val Zod. And it's great. <laughs> I love it. But, I, I mean, whoever plays the character, I, I, I find uh, this kind of an examination to be one that could be very interesting and compelling if it's a great story well told. I agree. So what would you say, as we sit back and look now, would you have, like, I don't normally like to play the X actor and X role game uh, whatsoever. Obviously, Michael B. Jordan was a name that was floating around out there for a long time that some people started that rumor. Is there anybody that you see right now, forget the X actor and X role, but is there anybody out there that you see as a front runner maybe, or as a front runner as a possibility for a role like that? Uh, how about Mr. Coulter? You know, our favorite Ooh. Luke Cage. <laughs> I mean, he's a beautiful man. <laughs> and I like the fact that he's a big dude. You know, he because we've, we've been getting our Superman. I mean, Henry Cavill looked great in the suit. Really formidable. Christopher Reeve also looked great in the suit. But I would like to see uh, somebody even bigger as a formidable Superman. It's like when... They introduced John Henry as Steel in the Reign of the Superman storyline. He was a big dude, too. And even though he wasn't Kryptonian and all that, and was Shaquille O'Neal played him in the movie. But I, I like the idea of that if you're going to have give us a black Superman, give us a really physically formidable black Superman that, that just you see the strength pulsating from him. That's what I want to see. Well, anyway, the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? It looks like we just had a couple of pieces of information given to us. Number one, that they are indeed going to look for a black actor to play Superman. But number two, by extension of that, that means that this Superman is going to be kind of a pocket universe story, much like the Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson Batman is. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you have any actors in particular in mind that you would like to see? What are your overall thoughts? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, 
Let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions today. Once again, if you'd like to send in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link that's in the description of this video, or you could enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv. Uh, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. Okay. With that down, let's get on to the live comments and questions, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Ulysses, not claw, but great, writes. One of four. Uh, I just like with Chadwick, uh, just like with Chadwick, I feel the same as you, John, about Paul Walker in Fast and the Furious. I hate that people think it's disrespectful to carry on the character when it's the opposite. He would have wanted it. Uh, he would have wanted that. Uh, it's like if they were still alive and decided not to continue in those movies. Do you not use that character anymore because the actor doesn't want to come back? Is it disrespectful to keep using the Joker since Heath Ledger passed, passed uh, while he was the Joker, though he finished filming, but still? Maybe some of that uh, isn't just the same, but the point is, if we always discontinue a character because one of the actors who played them, there'll be less and less characters. It's like you say, John, the actor isn't the end-all, be-all of the movie or the character. It's the other way over the character. It's the other way around. To me, I don't think it's bad to recast T'Challa or Brian in Fast and the Furious, especially for the for the finale, because you can't not have the second most important character that started it all. Uh, Jordana Brewster in, in nine for a reason. So he may be back. They'll hint it. So, I mean, I just, I don't know what you know, look with the fast, the furious and Paul Walker. It was a little bit of a different scenario. I think I could understand because they had made how many movies together, Rob, how many, fa- when did he pass away before seven? Or before? Se- yeah. Seven, seven. So, I mean, that became like an entire family that was working together on that. You know, I, I believe like, isn't Vin Diesel, wasn't he like godfather to Paul Walker's children and and a couple of his kids too. I mean, it's just, it's there. So there's a different level there. there. There's something a little bit different about that. They had spent a dozen years together, making these movies together, being in each other's families, lives, all that kind of stuff. With the Paul Walker situation, the Fast and Furious, I am willing to concede that there is a different dynamic there and them not wanting to recast that. I understood. I mean, I also would have been cool if they did decide to recast it to honor Paul and to continue on with the character. But I also completely got it that they didn't because it's a very, very unique situation. Rob, you know that I feel that T'Challa was just too important of a character that the work that Chadwick Boseman had done to make this character so culturally important and culturally relevant. I thought the work should have been carried on. I thought they should have passed on the baton and had somebody else pick that up for Chadwick Boseman and carry on. But I also understand them not wanting to, I mean, it's not what I would have done, but it's, it's fine. Rob, when you look at the Paul Walker and Chadwick Boseman situations, do you see them differently like I do, or do you think they are comparable? How do you look at it? No, I, I do think that they're different. I mean, the situations are, are, are different. I mean, you know, people die that doesn't in, in, in the same profession. But I think that I, I, I think it is a, a very different situation in the sense that, you know, Paul Walker had been in multiple movies and had been doing this thing for a long time. And they were able in Fast and the Furious 7, that last montage uh, of him in the film the movie, the actual franchise got to say goodbye within the context of the movie, got to say goodbye to him. 
It's been a long time. I mean, yeah. it was it was such a beautifully done sequence, and and I I would imagine that you know the thing about Black Panther is is we all saw now that we know we we we've seen literally seen Chadwick Boseman struggle as he was doing more movies. I mean, I loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but physically, Chad Boseman was incredibly changed. I mean, you could tell he was very thin, uh, and yet he was giving his all to us. So his work, um, we saw it. We, we actually, that movie showed us all. If you compare and contrast the way he was in Black Panther and the way he was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, physically he was very different, but he never wavered. That performance was Oscar caliber. And we saw, knowing now, the pain that he must have been going through when he was doing this work. So as opposed to being this shocking tragedy. And I think that, you know, the whatever they do in Wakanda forever, however they honor him, I I think it's gonna be it's just gonna it's just different. It's but ultimately the we lost two great performers at the height of their popularity. And it's, you know, it's sad either way. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, thank Rampage Predacon sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks for that, man. Anyway. All right. Thanks for sending that in. Ulysses, appreciate that, man. Next up, we've got Clay Woodley who writes, Last year when I was quarantined at home, I revisited the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy and Mark Webb's two Spidey films. I never cared for Webb's films, and I wish we had gotten Raimi's Spider-Man 4 instead. I felt like there were stories left to tell. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, I would say this. Number one, I thought Mark Webb's first Spider-Man movie, I thought the first Amazing Spider-Man was great. I I love that film. I mean, not as much as like Raimi's Spider-Man 2 or anything like that, but I really enjoyed that first one. At any rate, with the Sam Raimi thing, and I, I'm a big Sam Raimi fan, but when you got into Spider-Man 3, you could tell that Raimi... Simply Rob honestly had run out of gas when it came to yeah. Spider-Man because I mean, the, he just started to also get very repetitive in his own movies. Like which of the three Spider-Man movies am I referring to? The villain decides to kidnap Mary Jane and dangle her from a high place as a trap for Superman or as a trap Spider -Man. for Spider-Man. Yeah. The answer is all three that that exact scenario happened in all three movies. And that's just an example I, you know, I often feel, Rob, that for most directors, you can't just keep doing the same movie franchise in a row for too long because eventually, I don't know, you, for a good creative force like Sam Raimi, I feel like he needs he needs to keep changing it up. That's why I think it was brilliant that Chris Nolan would always do a Batman film, then go and do a different film, then come back and do the next Batman film, then go and do a different film, then come back and do the next Batman film, then go and do a different film. And he's always keeping his creativity sharp and fresh. And as much as I love Sam Raimi, I, I really do feel like his tank was out of gas when it came to the Spider-Man franchise and it was time to move on. I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that? I do too. I mean, also, Spider-Man 3 was kind of a kitchen sink movie. You know, you got a little bit of Venom, a little bit of Sandman, you got a little dancing. I mean, I don't think, <laughs> it, it, I don't think it really knew what it wanted to necessarily be. And I think a lot of that was frustrating for Sam. You know, I, I I think part of what was happening was that the studio expected certain things from these movies. I mean, it becomes 
you know, they're, they, they're driving merchandising. They're doing all of these other things. So the studio is like, we have to make them bigger and bolder and brasher. And let's give the audience, you know, a giant smorgasbord of entertainment where so often they forget, look, man, it's all about character and story as it always is. And people, the character of Peter Parker is inherently interesting because He's on one hand, he's trying to be a normal person and have a normal life. But on the other hand, with great power comes great responsibility. And he becomes the de facto savior of, well, his friendly neighborhood. And so that's the crux of the story. And by throwing a bunch of spectacle in it, let's have Venom, let's have Sandman, you know, let's give him all this stuff. You sort of dilute the fact that it's that always that eternal struggle. You, you have to trust that Peter Parker himself and his struggle is what makes Spider-Man the interesting character that he is. And with Spider-Man 3, they tried to do everything but that. Let's throw in more stuff. All right, next up, we move on to Logan James Kynaston, who writes, uh, Hey, John, after news of the great Olympia Dukakis, Academy Award winner Olympia Dukakis, uh, dying, me and my mom went back and watched Moonstruck and Steel Magnolias, the latter being my mom's top three favorite films of all time. There's a lot of people that uh, that Steel Magnolias holds a very, very special place in their heart. Uh, we also watched the documentary Olympia just a few weeks ago. Rob, and I instantly, you know, I felt bad because when I heard about Olympia Dukakis passing away, I, I realized you know, we haven't really talked about her a lot in in the last lot of years, right. and of course, what was it? Her 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 brother was ran for president. Was it Michael Dukakis? Mike Dukakis. Yeah. Was it her brother or her cousin? I can't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know to be honest. But I inst- when I heard about her passing away, I instantly went back to Moonstruck, which she won an Academy Award for. Oh my God, that movie's so good with Cher, Nick Cage. I mean, it is a glorious, wonderful movie. But yeah, it was truly sad to hear the passing of Olympia Dukakis. Rob, when, when when you heard about her passing, what was the first thing that crossed your mind? Well, that she was, you know, again, she, she was a, an actress that began, I mean, she didn't like grow up in the business. She kind of came to the business a little later. But, you know, to me, she was always somebody that brought a certain elegance and class to the roles that she played. And losing, I, I, I wish we had more of her. But, um, you know, we've got the roles that she left us and she always classed up the joint. And it's always uh, it's always sad when we lose our our uh, our notable actors. But you know what? She had a good life and had a good career and she was recognized for the great work that she did. So I think uh, ultimately that's all one can ask for. All right. Next up, we've got Russell Amador who writes, Hey, John, do you think Marvel Studios would wait till the movie releases and let it be a surprise who takes the mantle of Black Panther? <laughs> no. Uh, or do you think somewhere along the lines they'll announce the casting of the person taking the role? Oh, no, no. They'll absolutely announce the casting. Like you don't not. How, how do you do? Here's the question. How do you do a movie trailer and not put the main character of the movie in the trailer? You, you can't. Like, because assuming the new Black Panther in the movie called Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to be the main character of the film, how do you do movie trailers to promote the film and all that kind of stuff? No, they will announce well in advance about who it is. There's no, there would be no real reason to keep it secret until the movie comes out. That's not how you promote a film. On top of that, the reality is we live in a world today that it would be absolutely impossible 
in a world where everybody walks around with a global telecommunications device in their pocket with audio and visual visual capabilities. It's just there's no way you could go through an entire production of a movie with your name main character and no one ever found out. So it would be absolutely impossible. I don't know, Rob. Do you have a different point of view on that? No, I mean I think that's pretty accurate. Um, I, I I I agree with you there. All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, we've got CC and more rights. Hey, John, I caught up with Falcon the Winter Soldier recently. It made me compare the MCU and DC. Huge fan of both. MCU is taking their storytelling to a whole different level. Uh, being a huge fan of both, do you think DC will ever get to MCU's current level? Well, I mean, look, I think, I think what we have to accept is that, look, the MCU is simply the biggest juggernaut in the history of Hollywood. I mean, at least in this current frame of time you know we've never had anything like this 20 plus movies averaging about a billion dollars per film you know on that kind of scale there's just never been anything like it like 25 things in their things cross-platforming all that kind of stuff billion. it's it's it is unfair to anything else to say you can only be judged if you're successful if you meet and do what marvel is doing I don't care if DC ever gets to the level of success that Marvel has had. All I care about when I go into a DC movie is, is it a good movie? Because when I went in, Rob, and I watched Shazam, I didn't give a shit that it wasn't going to make $3 billion. I just knew I love this movie. This is so much fun. When I watched Man of Steel which should have been a billion-dollar film. But when I watch Man of Steel, I don't worry about whether DC is going to be as successful as Marvel. I just care about, is Man of Steel going to be awesome? And Man of Steel was awesome. That's all I care about when I go in. So do I think DC will ever hit the pinnacle that Marvel has hit? No. I don't know that anything ever will, Rob. Uh, So the answer is no. Could we come to a place, though, in time, Rob, where, you know, Marvel can't always be at revving at a thousand RPM. They're going to come down a bit. Can we ever get to a place where DC and Marvel equate each other? Yeah, we could get that. But I, I don't know that we'll ever see DC, you know, hit, you know, seven billion dollar films in a row and uh, all that kind of stuff. But can they at some point meet? Yeah, I think so. I don't know, Rob. What do you think? I think they're fundamentally different. I think that the course that DC has charted for itself now, Warner Brothers has charted, is the correct one in the sense that, you know, by chasing Marvel's formula, this big expanded extended universe, they weren't cutting it because they simply don't have the staff, Kevin Feige, Louis Desposito and Victoria Alonso. They don't have those people there to chart that course. What they should focus on is what they're doing. Find auteurist filmmakers, whether it's, you know, Todd Phillips doing a Joker or James Wan doing Aquaman or now uh, Muschietti doing The Flash. Concentrate on really great or um, uh, Matt Reeves doing Batman. Concentrate on these unique filmmakers that bring unique visions to their characters. And that way I could see them doing billion dollar movies. Aquaman certainly did. Joker certainly did on a very small budget. Maybe The Flash would, too. And Marvel has a very integrated, obviously, an extended universe. We've now seen 25 different projects. It's all part of this much larger tapestry. Those are two different approaches that seem to work. So I think you could get to a place where box office-wise, 
if they continue on this auteurist bent, I could see Warner Brothers and DC also winning with billion-dollar grossing films just doing it in a different manner. And I think that's that's a winning that that's that's DC and Warner Brothers setting their own tone, trailblazing for themselves, rather than trying to copy somebody else's formula that they're incapable of 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 recreating because they simply don't have the people, they don't have the architects of that. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we've got um Lil Mac 12 who writes. Hey, John and Rob, I'm three episodes into Shadow and Bone, and I have to say that I am very impressed. The effects uh, and the great story is very intriguing. Have you had a chance to check it out? If so, what are your thoughts? No, I have not started watching it yet. Um, I've been kind of caught up in, in a bunch of other things, so I have not had a chance to start watching Shadow and Bone yet. Uh, I did watch the latest episode of The Nevers. I'm really enjoying The Nevers. I hope that Shadow and Bone is good. I really do like Ben Barnes. But Rob, have you had a chance to start watching Shadow and Bone yet? I have no, not. No, but I have not either. But, you know... Um uh, I did every time like you, you come across it, they start like playing a, a little bit of it, like a snippet. I'm like, this looks pretty good. You know, I've, I, I keep wanting to hit play just to check it out. I mean, I, I haven't got there yet, but, uh, we're still in the middle of season five of our game of Thrones rewatch. Ah, there you go. All right. Next up, uh, anonymous on purpose writes, I kind of want the Toby and Andrew Spider-Man rumors to be false just so I can enjoy, uh, the enraged, the enraged and entitled fans on Twitter. It's going to be a glorious day for me. I mean, look, I, this has been a big thing. Of course, yesterday came out that Andrew Garfield has, has denied that he's going to be in. He says, look, uh, they have not called me and they would have called me by now. I mean, who knows what will happen, but they would have called me by now, I, I would assume, if I was going to be in it. And because there have been a lot of reports, although nothing from any of the major real news sites nor from the studio itself, have there been anything to confirm that Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield were going to be in the new Spider-Man. Right. But that's the constant rumors and rumbling. And, and listen, I, I kind of believe we are going to see them in it, although there is no actual proof that they are. There's no actual evidence that they are. And Andrew Garfield, of course, came out. Um, but listen. What John Watts has done with these two Spider-Man films, in this partnership between Sony and Marvel, I have thoroughly enjoyed both of these Spider-Man movies. And I honestly, would it be a fun thing if those two guys pop up? Sure. Do you need those two guys in there? Obviously not, Rob, because they've had two really good Spider-Man movies without them being in it. I have no doubt this is going to be a fun, entertaining uh, trip of a movie. It doesn't need to have them in there. If they're in there, great. If they're not, they're not. So I, I, I don't think the world is going to melt down as much as some people might think. I don't know, Rob. What do you think? I don't think the world's going to melt down as much as people think either. I mean, you know what? What are we talking about here? It's not like it's you know the end of the world. I agree. All right. Next up, uh, let's see. Tim Platt writes: While making, while waiting to receive my second COVID shot, I noticed the. Uh, telltale signs uh, that my area is about to experience a massive swarm of cicadas. What? Which occurs every 10, 17 years. What's your favorite bug-related movie? Oh, I have no idea what we're talking about. I have no idea what we're talking about. Do you have, what is your favorite bug-related movie? I have, do you understand? I don't know the reference. Do you know the reference? Uh, no, but if you ask about, I mean, uh, uh, my favorite bug-related movie is Exorcist II, The Heretic. <laughs> 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 uh, and you have to have seen it to understand that reference. <laughs> but uh, yes. 
Bugs Life. There we'll go. We'll go with Bugs Life. Bugs Life's a good one. All right, next up. Uh, we've got uh, Suthius writes, a wise man once said, I am Loki of Asgard and I am burdened with glorious purpose. In your opinion, have we see him achieve his glorious purpose or do you think that we'll see it this June? Perhaps not the purpose he intended, but the one he was destined. Well, don't forget that in when he originally said that, there was a specific thing. He was tasked by Thanos to take the scepter, go to Earth, and conquer Earth for Thanos. That was his glorious purpose. So uh, what he's referring to in the new Loki spot, I don't know. I don't think we'll see him accomplish that particular purpose uh, in, in June, no. But I am very, very excited for the show nonetheless. All right, next up. Uh, Jordan RTK writes, one of two. Hey, John and Rob, ever heard of an anime series called Code Gase? Uh, set an alternate reality where the world is ruled by empires. A betrayed and exiled empiric prince rises up as an anti-hero me, slash terrorist to lead Japan to freedom. Uh, a good person who does some bad things to achieve a righteous outcome. The prince, the price he is willing to pay to do so and how he becomes more conflicted, but determined as time goes on. If you ever get a chance, I'd recommend giving it a chance. So damn good. Rob, I am not familiar at all with this particular title. Are you? I have not heard of this. How do, how do you think you pronounce that? It's G-E-A-S-S. -E Prince Code Code Geese? Gase? I'm not Gase? quite sure. Gase? I'm not quite yeah. sure. But I will keep my eyes open for it. I've, I've never, honestly, Jordan, you were the first person ever to put it on my radar. I've never even heard of this thing. So I will keep my eyes open for it. All right, thanks for sharing that, man. Next up. Dr. Strange writes, well, I'm here in Westview. Phew, I knew I shouldn't have had the gas station sushi. I was in that bathroom for what felt like months. Now, what have I missed here? Anything? A uh, little bit of a thing there, of course. Talk about yesterday when Dr. Strange wasn't in WandaVision. The gas station sushi, always something to avoid in life. All right. Um, let's see. Collider extras. Who gives a fuck? Anyway. Hi, John. So my question is this. Uh, what hit the feels more? Sam and Dean's epic... Uh, Goid, oh, probably meant goodbye, uh, or on Supernatural, or Klaus and Elijah's goodbye as they daggered each other on the originals. Thanks. I actually, you know what? Not many people who watch this show, um, not many people who watch this show watch the originals. The originals, and for understandable reasons, the originals was a spinoff of Vampire Diaries, which is not generally made for an audience like myself or probably for a lot of you guys. But because my wife was completely into Vampire Diaries, I ended up watching a couple of episodes. And there were two characters on it that I really, really loved. And that was Niklaus and Elijah, these two, the two of the original vampires, and they were brothers. And I thought they were very interesting characters. So when they announced that they were doing a spinoff series called The Originals, I was at least intrigued to check it out just because I really loved it. And, and actually, the Elijah character was, for a little while, probably one of my top five favorite characters on TV for a bit. And I really did like the story of this original family of vampires. And I, I kind of dug it. And I ended up watching the entire series. And the ending was great. And the series ends with Niklaus and Elijah. Like, they have the rest of their family doing other things. But Niklaus and Elijah, you know, decide it's just they've lived long enough. And they decide to to kill each other on purpose. They, they decide to kill each other to both die. And it's, I actually thought, I did not like it anywhere near as much as I like Supernatural. But 
as far as what had the better heartstring kind of ending, I actually really liked um, the brothers. I, I really liked the Nicklaus and uh, and Elijah ending at uh, at the end there. I actually did kind of like that a lot. All right, thanks for writing. Next up, uh, we've got Scott. Uh, Brown, who writes, in my opinion, Invincible was way better than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, uh, with every episode of Invincible, I thought, holy hell, this show is absolutely amazing. I never thought that watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I enjoyed it a lot, but was never blown away. Invincible is incredible. No, listen, I really enjoyed Invincible. I mean, I loved Invincible. You guys heard me rave, rage about it. I still think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was the better show um, overall. Uh, there's a lot of different elements that go into that. And I'm not about to start a huge debate, but it's all subjective. You liked one better than the other. Look, we're both on the same page here. We both liked both. You preferred one. I preferred the other, but they're both winners in our books. So that works. All right. Next up, Willow writes, did Anne work for Amazon for a while? Yeah, she worked with Amazon for nearly a year. Uh, did Anne work for Amazon for a while before going over to Apple? Yes, she absolutely did. Um, uh, I could have sworn that there was a brief period where you were promoting Amazon products on your show. I hope I'm not going crazy. No, I, I, I don't think I've ever promoted Amazon products on my show. But yes, Anne left Hasbro and went to work uh, with Amazon. She became uh, their major coordinator over there at Amazon for their her main responsibility at Amazon was to be the. Uh, program manager and to coordinate the opening of Amazon's new brick and mortar grocery stores. So I don't know if, if you probably a lot of you guys still don't have these in your areas, but Amazon now has actual brick and mortar, real physical grocery stores. And it was Anne's responsibility to get all the things ready for the launches of all the individual sites. That was her, that was her job there. However, uh, she then moved on. She got a, a great offer from Apple and she is now over there at Apple and doing things there. So, uh, and uh, I'm not allowed to specifically say what her exact job is, except to say that she is, it's a great opportunity over there at Apple. She's doing some great things and uh, I couldn't be more proud of her. All right, next up. Uh, let's see here. Mike McHale writes, one of two. Hey, John, for Black Panther 2, what if they made Okoye the new Black Panther? It, technically speaking, she can't. But according to the MCU's rules in Wakanda, Okoye cannot become the next Black Panther. Anyway, she's a highly skilled warrior, fought in Infinity War and Endgame, even represented Wakanda during the blip while T'Challa and Shuri were gone. I think uh, uh, Denai, and is it Denai Guerrero? I think it's Denai Guerrero, yeah. um, is a big enough star and has been in the MCU long enough to be recognized by both casual fans and hardcore sweaties. And after her extended appearance in Falcon, the Winter Soldier, maybe they could even make uh, Io the new head of the Dora Milaje. Thanks. Yeah. So according, I heard a great discussion on this, Rob, mm -hmm. but according to in, um, we're not talking the comics in the MCU, according to the rules they set up regarding lineage the tribes you're from, your role in those tribes, not to mention understanding how the Dora Milaje work. Apparently, Okoye cannot abandon, cannot stop being Dora Milaje. She can't abandon that. Um, and because she's not one of the senior members of one of the individual tribes, she doesn't have a claim to it. So I, from what I understand, she can't be the next Black Panther. Although, you're not wrong. I mean, you look at her as a warrior. Now you add the heart-shaped herb to that. With, give, with the Black Panther powers, she becomes extremely formidable, even though she already is. But as far as I understand, 
according to the rules of the MCU, she can't. I don't know, Rob, what's your position on that? Maybe you've heard something different. Well, no, I mean, I, I look, I, I, lo I love the Dormelage. I mean, I love the characters. I love the way they've been portrayed. And they could, I, I, I loved Okoye. And I love a a Ao. I always get it wrong. Io. I, I, it's Io. I always think of the moon of Jupiter, which is Io, not Ayo. But Io, I mean, both of those characters, I really liked the way Io was fleshed out in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I thought it was great. And to be honest, I, I mean, I would like to see more Dora Milaje interacting and seeing, now that we've brought her Io to the fore, I would like to see, I'm sure, as a matter of fact, John, in Wakanda Forever, we're going to get more of both of those characters now. And I'm sure whatever happens in the movie, those two are going to play a much more significant part than we've even seen up, up to now. And why not? And I don't know if you knew this, Rob, but the Dora Milaje have jurisdiction wherever the Dora Milaje find themselves you know, to be. I, I've heard that, John. And, and I think, look, I mean, I, I love that Dora Milaje. And I, I do love too. I, I mean, as we've seen, it's it's and they've 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 added to their mythology in Falcon and Winter Soldier, which I thought was great. Yeah, I they, loved it. They did a great job. With I that. mean, especially how they the uh, uh, Io's relationship with um, Bucky. Bucky. Yeah. And I, you know, I thought it was terrific. All right. Next up, uh, John's favorite fan writes. Uh, Do you think there's a market for a theatrical two hour cut of Disney Marvel shows? No, uh, I am thinking. Uh, those, number one, who do not have Disney+, Plus. two, those who don't like watching episodic shows, three, regular movie fans, uh, will this generate additional revenue for Disney, for Disney? No. And I'll tell you a couple of reasons why it wouldn't work and also why Disney would never do it. Why it wouldn't work. Number one, a lot of people do have Disney+. Plus. And right. anybody, I'm not going to say anybody, like there's no exceptions, but generally speaking, I, I've watched WandaVision. I'm not going to go to the movie theater and watch a two-hour version of WandaVision. I've already watched the whole thing, and I can watch it again anytime I want. So right there, you're losing a huge chunk of potential audience that would go see it. So there's, there's that. So no, there's not really an audience for it. But number two, you mentioned in your thing there, you know, uh, number one, for those who don't have Disney+, Plus. Well, remember, the whole reason that Disney makes these Disney Plus shows is to incentivize people to get Disney Plus. So it would be counterproductive for Disney to take these shows, which they specifically make to get you to sign up for Disney Plus, and then give you a way to watch it without being a Disney Plus member. So on top of that, Rob, I don't know, it seems to me like it would be pretty choppy to take an, I don't know, you know, five and a half hour, six hour story and edit it down to two hours when at least half of your potential audience has already seen the full thing. I, I don't know. So from a practical point of view and from a logistical point of view, I just don't see that there's any market to do something like that. Do you think there would be some upside to doing that, Rob? No, I, I mean, look, you know, there is a precedent like there's a lot of I'm a fan of Japanese anime and they've done that. They've taken certain anime series and cut them down to theatrical movies. They did that with like Star Blazer, Space Battleship Yamato. But in this case, like you pointed out, <laughs> the whole point is to get people to subscribe to Disney Plus to see them. 
And while I love the fact that they have theatrical qualities, uh, that they're very lushly produced shows, it would defeat the whole purpose. I mean, look, I'd love to see them in IMAX, but why would they do that? <laughs> I would like to get physical media versions of all those shows, though. Uh, yeah, and of course, back with Battleship Yamato or Star Blazers, there wasn't the streaming wars going on at the time. No, there was that <laughs> no, fight. no, so no. It was a I mean, this was 40 years ago. Yeah, very, very different context. All right, next up, we've got Tim Platt who writes, I hope they model it more like episode one. That might be the first time anyone has said that about a Star Wars property. Okay, so what he's referring to is we were talking about Bad Batch. Now, I have, uh, about a week ago, I got access to the first two episodes of Bad Batch. The first episode is now up on Disney Plus for everybody to see. I I enjoyed episode one, to my surprise. I enjoyed episode one. I, I thought it was a little bit different than stuff they'd done before. Now, I'm not, I didn't love episode two, though. To me, episode two felt more like the same formulaic stuff from before. So I said, look, if this Bad Batch series can be more like episode one, I'll, it probably become one of my regular watches. If it's more like episode two, it probably won't. But yeah, so that's probably the first time somebody's ever said, I hope it's more like episode one um, uh, has probably ever been said regarding Star Wars, at least in a long time. All right, next up, we've got uh, about Garfield's comments, writes, John, uh, did you just read what he said or did you actually uh, watch the interview? If you watch the interview, he's uh, it's clear as day he's being facetious and his body language was so giddy. He emphasized, I didn't get a call, but wouldn't Sony slash Marvel call his agent, not him? I think that's grasping at straws. I did. I didn't watch the video. I heard the audio from it. I heard uh, one of the websites, one of the news uh, sites there had the audio uh, play of it. I didn't watch the video. I heard the audio. And look, you can interpret things in many different ways. And we said on this show, there's definitely a possibility that maybe he's pulling, maybe he's pulling a misdirect. Uh, And that's absolutely possible. That is still completely on the table. That is one of the possibilities. But I, I disagree with you with your with your very optimistic, clear as day he was being I don't believe that it was clear as day he was being facetious, although it's a possibility. And that's what we said on the show. It, it's a possibility. So I don't know. We'll see where things go with that. All right. Next up, uh, any gamer reviews rights. I wanted to see Mortal Kombat in theaters, but when it launched, I was in the hospital after suffering from a gallbladder attack. Dude, that does not sound like fun at all. So yeah, I'm no. still trying to recover from that, hoping to watch it soon. Well, listen, dude, the movie going experience is always the best way to watch something. But if you're looking forward to watching Mortal Kombat, I think it's perfectly acceptable to have, you know, one of your family members bring in a laptop for you, fire up HBO Max and give it a watch there. Not to mention, it's actually not that great of a movie. So you're not really missing all that much. But dude, speedy recovery to you. I hope you're doing well. Recover quickly. Get back on your feet and get back into the movie theaters when you can, man. Take care, dude. All right. Next up, Mark Ruffalo writes. Hello, fellow fans. I wanted to wish my fellow as guardian partner, Thor, a 10-year birthday and The Mummy Returns a 20-year birthday. Uh, Would the MCU look different if the Marvel movies were still released under Paramount? Thank you and have a fantastic week. I mean, I I don't know. By the way, is it the 10-year anniversary of Thor? Is it? It sounds like it is. Let me me look this up. Thor release date. Let me see if I can uh, find this here. Even Google's struggling with it. Uh, the original Thor came out on, it premiered on April 17th, and it premiered in the United States on May 6th, 
2011. Tomorrow is the 10 year anniversary <laughs> of the first, wow. Of the first Thor. Oh That's my crazy. God. Holy crap. I love that movie. Like that, that Kenneth Branagh doing an MCU movie that I think that is the second most, obviously I think man of steel is the most underappreciated comic book movie of all time. I think Thor, the, the original Thor is the second most underrated comic book film of all time. I absolutely love that movie. I, I think that thing is absolutely fantastic. So I did not realize, uh, and, and would it be different if it was still being released under Paramount? Yeah, it would be different. Uh, how much different? I don't know, but obviously di- there would be different dynamics at play um, and it would alter what, you know, Marvel's production strategy would be. So yes, it would be different, but I, I'm just still more floored by that first Thor turns 10 years old. Oh my God. Anyway, Rob, your thoughts on that Thor turning 10. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> if I look back at my life, I mean, that's a significant <laughs> looking chunks. Like that's 20% of my life ago or something like that. I'm like, that's a long time. <laughs> I'm old, but it's, you know, I, I think one of the things that's great about what's significant about Thor for me, as far as the MCU goes, I was always curious, how are you going to make the mythology of Asgard and Thor and the rainbow bridge and Odin and Loki. How's that going to work with the first Iron Man, which if you go back and you look at the first Iron Man, it's fairly grounded. And then Thor is what spins it off uh, into fantasy sci-fi realm. And I'm like, would you believe it? And you do. I mean, I think one of the greatest feats that the Marvel universe played as far as film goes is making sure that you believe that Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man can exist in the same cinematic universe. And when it came to Thor, that was the big question that I had in my mind. Would it work? Would you believe? And you did. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. All right, next up. Uh, let's see. Joseph Marshall writes, Hey, John, uh, just wondering if you've seen Disney Park's recent reveal of their real lightsaber they showcased today. Just wanted your thoughts. Yeah, Rob, did you see that video? Yeah, that they I put up? one. <laughs> so here's the thing. The, but they're the, only going to be at the hotels, right? That's where they're going to showcase it. Okay. Uh, first, that's where they're first going to showcase them. But then they'll, they'll be available. The term real is being used extremely <laughs> extremely generously here. The designs for this thing have come out. It is, it's not a beam of light. It's literally uh, the designs that, that came out. I think variety was the one who showed the designs. It's literally, it's, it's a slip cover system that extends out and then it lights as it goes up and it visually gives the appearance of a beam of light coming out, but it's actually yeah. a physical thing that, that extends and then contracts I shouldn't do. People are going to make a me a gif of this anyway. It extends and contracts, um, and it looks so, cool though. Yeah, it no, it looks amazing. It does look good, and optically, as long as you're not standing too close, I think it's going to look really awesome. I think it's going to look really, really good. Uh, but I mean, again, the term "real" is being used very, very generously. That's that's all. But it does look awesome. I got to get myself one of those. All right, next up. Uh, it's all groovy rights. Uh, greetings, the John Campio show. Has it been discussed uh, what happened 
in Wakanda during the snap many, many, many times. Uh, with T'Challa and Shuri gone, uh, who was king and who took on the mantle of Black Panther for those five years? Could this person be who takes over for Chadwick thoughts and bring on the filthy? I mean, we've had many discussions about this, Rob, but we've never had, I mean, we've never, there's never been an official word. I mean, my guess is one of two things. Either T'Challa's mother assumed the head of government role or M'Baku, who was about to become the head of government, but but lost by this much to T'Challa. So my guess is it was probably either T'Challa's mother. Most likely it was probably M'Baku. I don't think there would have been another Black Panther because remember where we left off with Wakanda, the last official thing we knew was there's no more heart-shaped herb. The last one that um, uh, that they took, remember the whole plan was Nakia was trying to take the last heart-shaped herb to M'Baku to get M'Baku to take it. But when they got there, they discovered that M'Baku was actually healing T'Challa and they gave it to T'Challa. But as far as we know in that universe, that's the last one. There can't be another Black Panther. Now, obviously, Rob, in the MCU, they're going to say, Eureka, we actually came across another crop of heart-shaped herbs. So obviously they're going to do it. But So I think that probably M'Baku was the leader of Wakanda, but there probably wasn't a Black Panther because nobody could have had the powers. I know, Rob, what do you think? What do you think was going on in Wakanda d- during those years? Well, I mean, obviously, like probably the rest of the world, they were trying to pick up the pieces. I mean, like everywhere else, they would have lost half their population. And what do you do? And and how do you how do you run your your government and with the technological advancements that they had and now that they've announced themselves to the world I would have imagined that people would have turned to Wakanda for help and for aid um, I they probably you would have had people crying out for please help us and I could see that they you know maybe that's why the Dormelage have no problem moving out into the world as because they were probably at the forefront of keeping keeping the peace and keeping uh the world in 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 one piece you know so it didn't spin off into oblivion i i bet that's i mean they could have been part of the i don't know if they call it a world police force or whatever but as we know they were opening their borders they revealed their their existence to the world the battle between thanos uh it 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 happened in wakanda and uh, I think that would have been ground zero. The media would have been all over it. People would would have probably come there, and uh, it would have been a, a crazy place during the during those five years. I'd love to know what happened. And we'll probably get a little bit of that in Wakanda forever. I'm assuming yeah. we probably will. All right, next up, uh, Jack Master Nord writes, yes, one of two. Yes, I agree that M'Baku could become the ruler of Wakanda, but not Black Panther because he doesn't worship Bast. By, again, that has never been set up in the MCU that that's a rule. I'm just sorry. I, I mean, look, you got to understand the difference between the comic books and the MCU. They are two different things. They are incredibly influenced by it, but it has never been stated at all in the MCU that that was a prerequisite for becoming Black Panther. Not in the least. Anyway, um, 
but, but not Black Panther because he doesn't worship Bast. Uh, if he did take the heart-shaped herb, he would receive the powers of the god that he worships. Same with Nakia. Uh, she would get the powers of the god that she worships. Killmonger was able to become Black Panther because he was in the Bast-worshipping bloodline, but he doesn't worship Bast. That's the thing. It doesn't matter if he's in that bloodline. He didn't worship Bast. Anyway, um, uh, I love what you have built and continue to do for this community. Well, thanks so much for writing that in, Jack. But again, you are saying rules that do not exist in the MCU. Those have never been stated in the MCU. That has never been suggested. As a matter of fact, what was implied in the MCU was that specifically that Umbaku, the reason Naki was taking the Archaper was specifically that he would get the powers of the Black Panther and become the protector of Wakanda and be able to, to battle Killmonger. It was never suggested that if he takes it, he'll get the powers of a different kind of god, so he'll have different types of powers. Again, I understand there are roots for that in the comics, but there is nothing for that in the MCU itself. They are two different things. So we have to stop confusing things that happen in the comics with what actually happens in the MCU. They quite often go by two different sets of rules. I don't know, Rob, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right about that. Um, but um, yeah, not right. No, I mean, I, I agree with you. All right, uh, let's move on here. Cutter Hale writes, um, I've been excited for those who wish me dead. Uh, my friend told me uh, that I need to see Wind River before I see those who wish me dead. And uh, uh, and yesterday I watched Wind River. How did I miss this movie? It was amazing. One of the best I've ever seen. Jeremy Renner gives his best performance, in my opinion. I will agree with you on that. I think that is Jeremy Renner's best performance. Um uh, in my opinion, the writing is phenomenal. The action is amazing. Everything from top to the bottom was amazing and is now one of my favorites of all time. My my expectations went way up for those who wish me dead. And listen, man, if you have not seen Wind River, I mean, yes, it's not a big action flick. It's not a lot of explosions. It's not the MCU, but it is a powerful performance. Dude, Rob, that we're, I'm not going to give anything away, but that one scene near the end, where Jeremy Renner is oh, with dude. that that native dad, oh, yeah. and they just break. I mean, I'm sitting in the theater going, "This is movie making." Yeah, like, and of course, Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic in it as well. Um, John Bernthal pops up in it um, as well, but it's such a good movie, and a lot of people just never watched it. But now's a good time, Rob. What are your thoughts on Wind River? I, well, I love Wind River. I, you know, it's, I hate, this is terrible to admit, but the first time I saw it was on a plane <laughs> and I watched it twice back to back. Um, and I, those who wish me dead, man, I can't wait. It op I think it opens Friday in theaters. Not this um, Friday. I know that? the Jason, I know the Jason Statham movie opens this Friday. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I think that, but it, I'll have to look that up. Me, those who wish me dead looks really good. You know, I like I like the fact that, you know, Wind River took place on uh, an Indian reservation and, you know, in the, in the just cold, you felt how cold that movie was. And Those Who Wish Me Dead takes place. I think it takes place like in the Montana wilderness where, you know, you've got so, a, a fire spotter. And, and now, by the way, Rich and uh, Yellow and uh, Calvin are saying May 14th. May 14th oh, is when 14th. For Those Who Wish Me Dead opens. John, yes. that might be the first movie I go back to the theater and see. Woo! After I get my uh, final uh, uh, vaccination on the on the eleventh, I think I might do that because I, I it, I'm I, it looks right up my alley, so I I'm gonna go. 
Yeah, it looks awesome. I'm very excited for it. And of course, guys, check out Wind River. Go watch it. All right. The John Champion Show writes, boy, I'm going to be pissed if Kevin Feige gives the Fantastic Four Iron Man suits because they're just not cool enough, just much like Spider-Man. Dude, I'm not going to lie to you, Rob. I'll be pissed. I will be (laughs) pissed. If suddenly now Invisible Girl has to have her battle armor suit with a built-in AI telling her everything and they all, because they're just not cool enough. They won't do that to the Fantastic Four, will they? They're not going to give them like tech armor battle suits like Iron Man, will they? Please tell me they won't. I I I I don't know. I would hope not, but <laughs> I yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, I you know I think that that goes a little far, but with look we're we're getting we're getting armor wars, dude, coming down the pike. So I don't know how they're going to play that out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, look, that's understandable because I think if I'm not mistaken, the whole thing is predicated on what Stark te- technology was. So right. I, I'll get that because narratively that fits. I mean, War Machine is clearly going to be one of the primary characters there. So I get that. It fits into the story. I understand. But Fantastic Four, leave the Fantastic Four alone. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's the thing. I, I, I it's weird because, you know, when you have that technology existing in the universe, and it can be applied to different things. I just don't think that that not everyone. I mean, Iron Man technology. It it, it we already start, saw what happens when Tony Stark tries to build a suit of armor around the world. But I think the Fantastic Four are their own. Like, why would Mister Fantastic need armor, or why would Sue Storm need armor, or Johnny Storm and Ben Grimm? You know, Ben Grimm has his own armor. He carries. He's 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 made of rocks. You know, so I don't think it's gonna happen all right next up we go to willow who writes uh regarding the comment from the viewer who's considering postponing surgery to watch shang chi yeah one of our viewers yesterday wrote in and said they have this surgery scheduled in a few months but they're honestly thinking about postponing the surgery so they don't miss because it's going to be months of recovery time because yeah. they want to be able to go to see these movies. Um, regarding the comment from the viewers considering postponing surgery to watch Shang-Chi, uh, what is the craziest thing you've done for the sake of seeing a movie? Well, oh. I don't know that I've done a lot that's like completely crazy. Now, obviously, I went, I drove to Vegas just to watch the New Mutants, then turned around and drove right home. But the bigger thing I did was when The Phantom Menace was coming out, I was living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada at the time, but my favorite movie theater was the Ancaster Silver City in Hamilton, Ontario. It's like 2,000 miles. And me and a couple of friends, we rented a minivan (laughs) and drove 24 hours, 2,000 miles so I could go and watch, and I convinced them to come with me, so I could go and watch the new Star Wars movie in my favorite movie theater. That yeah. is one of the, the the biggest extents I've ever gone to for a movie-watching experience. Rob, what about you? Well, uh, for the 50th anniversary of the James Bond franchise, Skyfall was opening in London two weeks before That's it opened in the right. United States. right. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, so I uh, I went with some friends, and uh, we flew to London. <laughs> we 
we flew to London and I went and saw Skyfall at the Odeon Cinema in Leicester Square, which had been the the home of many a premiere of the Bond films when they opened all the way back into the 60s. And because I've gone, I think since Octopussy, I had gone to press screenings of all the Bond films and I wanted to see a Bond movie on opening day with a British audience at the Odeon Cinema in Leicester Square. And so that's what I did. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. All right, let's get to one more here with Rob. Uh, Robert still with us here. Uh, not Sam Wilson writes, one of three. Hey, John, uh, I wonder if you saw the Malcolm Spellman interview with Inverse. In it, that's the guy who was the writer for Falcon the Winter Soldier. Uh, in it, he talked about wanting to have Spider-Man appear in the finale, in the final uh, episode of Falcon the Winter Soldier uh, since it was set in New York City. Kevin Feige shot it down. He said... Feige doesn't allow characters to pop up unless they belong in the story and that they must occur organically. When I read that, I immediately thought of you. Uh, it is always uh, what I... It is what I always believed about the MCU and what you have co consistently said. Every franchise has its flaws, but what makes the MCU great is they always try to put the story first. So take a victory lap for every time you got hate for shooting down a fan theory because it wouldn't make narrative sense. You were right, and all hail King Feige. But listen, <laughs> it's it's just it's, it's not that I was right. It's just that we recognize the brilliant strategy that Kevin Feige has with that, Rob. Right. I mean, the notion of, like, I get it, just pure fan service fanboyism, have Thor show up and have Superman show up and have Spider-Man show up and where's Doctor Strange and blah, blah, blah. Kevin Feige is above that shit. Kevin Feige is story comes first. Is it an integral, is it necessary and intricately and organically a part of this story? For Spider-Man just to drop in out of nowhere in a Falcon and Winter Soldier show that's supposed to be about them and it's their narrative and their story, it makes no sense whatsoever. It would have made no sense. So he didn't do it. And I like that. And then, of course, we heard Kevin Feige talk yesterday about the, the, the notion of Doctor Strange coming into WandaVision. He said, look, it'll take away from Wanda. This is supposed to be her show about her. It also commoditizes the entire show and just makes the show feel like it's a prequel to Doctor Strange 2. And yeah. Kevin Feige never lets his movies or shows feel that way. He just always puts story, natural flow, you know, and what the he has a laser focus, Rob on what it is he's trying to accomplish with every story. And sometimes, like in Infinity War and Endgame, that means having everybody show up. And sometimes, most of the time, it doesn't. And that's why he's the smartest guy in the room. That's why he consistently succeeds. That's why the MCU is the biggest juggernaut in the whole thing. And so, yeah, I did hear about those comments that Spellman made. And it's just it's just par for the course. That is Feige's philosophy, and it works. I know, Rob, you heard about those comments. What did you make of them? Well, I feel exactly the same way. It's, it's I mean, I, this idea that everybody... Look, that the attack in New York uh, when the Flag Smashers made their move, you're almost watching it in real time. It's it's not like everyone's, uh, well, I, I need to call all my other hero friends. It, uh, it Look, the military doesn't do that. You know, the military, if somebody doesn't, one branch of the military doesn't call another branch if they need something right this minute. You know, when something goes down, you're handling it. It's not like Falcon's like, oh, I need to call Spider-Man to see if he's not busy. I mean, it doesn't. What happens happened then and there in the moment they went and dealt with it. 
And Spider-Man isn't military. You know, they were going in and, and, and there was a quasi-military operation. Uh, there was all kinds of craziness going on. And it was I, like, it, it, not everybody gets involved all the time. Just like you as a person, you don't involve all of your friends in everything that you do. Yep. Uh, for example, yesterday, Ann and I were painting. Uh, we got this brick wall in our backyard and we were painting it. And if it was a movie, somebody say, why didn't Robert come and help him? That's what that's if it was a movie, they said, well, why didn't Robert Meyer Burnett show up? Which don't laugh, Rob. I was thinking about giving you a call saying, come help me paint this damn wall. But I didn't do that. But you're right. We don't incorporate everybody into everything that we do. Anyway, Rob, I know we've kept you overtime here today. Thanks for being here, man. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your greatness online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, man. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. All right, I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Anyway, we still got some time here, guys, so let's keep on rolling with some more of your questions, shall we? Next up, we've got Hot Rod Todd who writes, have you had a chance to watch The Mitchells versus The Machines? I have not. I wanted to watch it last night, but then Ann and I, Ann and I were taking a dip in the jacuzzi last night, and then we decided we got before we got to go to bed, we think we got time to watch something. And I thought about watching Mitchells versus the Machines because I've heard nothing but good things about it. But then we realized, oh, that's right, we're still one episode behind on the Nevers. And so we watched the Nevers instead and then went to bed. I'm going to watch Mitchells versus the Machines today because I've heard it's great. I've been wanting to get caught up with it, and I, I've heard it's wonderful. Anyway, uh, it's a great movie from Lord and Miller, as well as the brains behind Gravity Falls. I found it smart and hilarious, plus the art style is so unique and gorgeous. Highly recommend. Yeah, Hot Rod, thank you for keeping that on uh, keeping that on the radar. I've heard, again, nothing but positive things about it, even though it's like, it didn't look, I'll, look, I'll be honest, it didn't look great. And the fact that it got dumped on Netflix, Netflix's original movies and movies that get dumped there do not have a great track record. But this one sounds great. People are raving about it. Uh, and we will check that out. And uh, Jonathan, my buddy Jonathan Green, <laughs> tipped, in, tipped in for me on the Super Chat badge. Thank you so much, uh, Jonathan Green. And we will see you at Poker Night, my friend. All right, next up. Uh, that was Heart Rod Todd. Next up, Some Dude writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. Uh, there's this five second clip all over YouTube of you swearing and breaking your headphones. Remember I talked yesterday about my headphones are doomed. Um, I have to know what the hell happened that caused that reaction. LOL. Thanks. And keep bringing on the filthy. Yeah. That's why I joked yesterday when the, uh, when this stream elements, uh, feed was kept crashing out yesterday. Remember I said, that's it. My headphones are doomed. Um, so what happened was, listen, I am a very calm and patient man. But when technical problems happen, it pisses me off. And and what really pisses me off, I'll tell you what really pisses me off, is um, when I feel, I feel incredibly embarrassed when I feel like I, I blow it or I feel like I've let my audience down. Because listen, it is not lost on me that when you guys watch my show, you are taking time out of your day to come and spend with us here. You give me a trust that if you choose to spend some of your valuable time either watching live or watching my show, I owe it to you to deliver, to, to deliver you an informative and entertaining and maybe a little bit of a thoughtful and a good time, right? And when I feel like I let my audience down, particularly because of an 
effing technical problem, like either it's a computer thing or a YouTube problem, whatever. Oh my God, I lose my mind. I absolutely lose my mind. Dennis tells us one story. And it's true. Uh, there was this one time we were doing, um, we were doing AMC movie talk this one time. And we're at the desk, right? And this is still when we had very, very spotty internet. We had very, very spotty internet. And here we are doing this show. And we had like thousands of people in the live stream watching, much like we have thousands of people watching this live stream right now. Um, and, and doing all this stuff. And they kept crapping out. It kept crapping out. The, the internet was just, everything Everything was going bad. Everything's crapping. We had thousands of people watching. There was some big news that day. I, we had our whole team, because not only was it our audience, we had our whole team that came in. We had, everybody's going. We had all these people, blah, blah, blah. And then the show went to shit because uh, of a tech issue. And we let our audience down. It, I, whenever that happens, I, I take it very personally and I take it as, as a huge embarrassment. And by the way, Dragon 10 sends in a uh, super chat badge. So as Dennis tells the story, so I'm sitting there, oh, look, look, hey guys, look, it looks like we're having some problems. You know, me being the showman, uh, it looks like we're having some technical problems, guys. I apologize. Just tell you what, don't worry guys. We'll pick up on these stories on tomorrow's show. Uh, thank, but we're going to cut it short right now because of these technical issues. So if you come on back tomorrow guys, and we'll see you then until next time. I'm John Campia. Bye-bye. Right. Big smile on my face. The moment our technical director said we're out, that means the thing's off. I'm like, bye-bye. We're out. God fucking God! I'm like so mad. I wasn't mad at anybody in the studio. I was just so fucking mad that we had let down thousands of people who were watching us. I felt so humiliated and embarrassed and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, yeah, we were doing the John Campion show and I think it was one of the YouTube issues or something went wrong uh, from a technical point of view. This is a few months ago. And I said, bye-bye. And then again, fuck, he took my headphones off and the headphones... The headphones are still, I still have them. They were trash. The headphones are trash. I leave them hanging like a body outside of Rome as a warning to all other technology not to fail me. Uh, but yeah, that was the whole thing. Uh, that was the whole thing with that. So anyway, yeah. All right, let's move on. Next up. Uh, where'd we go? Okay, here we go. Um, Jason Connor writes, when Spider-Man 3 rolls out in December and it is settled that Toby and Andrew are not in it, uh, that would be a great video idea for you, John. Title would be How the Godfather of Juicy Rumors Never Came to Fruition and How We Should All Learn from This. Well, I mean, no, 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 like, like time out for a second. Two things, two things. First of all, it's still possible that Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire are going to be in it, Right. It, it doesn't look like they are, but that's still possible. So let's, let's keep that in mind. If it doesn't happen, I don't think, I don't know what the lesson is, you know? The, the lesson shouldn't be that we shouldn't hope or we shouldn't imagine or we shouldn't have dream scenarios for us as individual fans. Listen, as fandom, that's part of fandom, right? The only lesson to take away if, and this is a huge if, if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire do not end up being in the new um, uh, Spider-Man, 
then the only lesson to take away is it's, it would once again be a reminder not to take anything seriously that doesn't come from one of the major actual real legitimate news sites. Uh, not Gus's gas station reviews, dot fart or anything like that, but the actual real legitimate news sites. Hollywood Reporter, Variety, uh, Deadline, uh, Entertainment Weekly, The Wrap. Uh, next tier down, uh, some very, very good ones. Things like Cinema Blend, Joe Blow, Coming Soon. Like, So you got your top tier legitimate news sites. Then below that tier, you have some very, very solid, long-standing, reputable sites that, you know, not, not, not the top tier sites, but there's those two. But yeah, I think the only lesson to be learned was unless it's in one of the legitimate news sites, don't pay much attention to it. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been big scoops that have come from something other than the big legitimate news sites. But if the scoop is true, it will eventually, probably quickly, also be reported by the top news site. So if you don't see it filter up there, don't pay much attention to it. Again, I still think it's possible that Garfield and McGuire could pop up there. But we've always said, listen, guys, don't count on it because it hasn't been reported by the major legitimate news sites. But it's still possible, and we'll see. We'll see where things go. All right, next up. Um, uh, Suthius writes, do Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, so Dwayne The Rock Johnson has his tequila company, uh, Terramana. This dude is so giving that he gave each of the 1,000 crew members of the Black Adam production a bottle of his tequila. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that by an actor or actress. I don't know. I've heard some weird stories before about like, some very um, eclectic actors or directors like giving out Rolexes to like their entire crew or things like that. Uh, Listen, a bottle of tequila is not like giving away a new car. It's not like Oprah saying everybody gets a car or anything like that. It's a bottle of tequila. It's his company. I mean, that's pretty good. By the way, what is it with celebrity actors buying their own tequila companies? Like buying their own rum or whiskey or tequila companies. I think George Clooney's got one. Ryan Reynolds has one. The Rock has one. I think like 18 other actors have their like their own booze companies. I don't know what the deal with that is. I'm not a drinker. I don't drink alcohol. So I I don't really know what any of it's uh um I don't know what any of it really means, but I'm just always curious about why that many people do it. All right, next up. We got uh, Ryan Loner writes, Andrew Garfield, I am not in the new Spider-Man. Uh, that is most definitely a true thing that I am saying, but I am doing something with an actor I've always wanted to work with. That's the thing I'm supposed to say, right? Again, listen, the Andrew Garfield thing could be an elaborate misdirect. It could be a very playful misdirect. So who knows? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we are still left with who knows. I still think it's a possibility but I'm not going to be shocked at all since no legitimate source has ever actually claimed that they're going to be in the movie. I still kind of think it's possible, but who knows? We'll see where we go with that, Ryan. All right, next up. Uh, James L.H. writes, one of two. Hi, John. Been a, uh, been a bit since my last message. Uh, I have to comment on the John Campius show from the 30th of April. Rob appearing reminded me of one of my all-time favorite miniseries, his shirt with the logo of the visitors, the V, that's right, uh, from V. I'm just glad Rob didn't tear his face off. Curious. 
um, if he wore it to honor the release date of May 1st, 1983, or coincidence. It was actually coincidence. Anyway, I love V. Uh, it wasn't released here in the UK until July 84. I remember as an almost 11-year-old watching it when it was released during the LA Olympics, my first Olympics. Actually, James, I'll tell you what. So what, every day that Rob's on the John Campus show, a half hour before the show starts, Rob and I hop online, we chat, we talk a little bit, and then we do our picture checks, we do our audio checks, we go over the rundown of the show quickly, and we just chat for a bit. And the first thing I did, I saw his shirt, and I'm like, is that the symbol from V? And he's like, yes, it is. Um, v was great. First of all, you got Beastmaster in there. By the way, it was the first time I got to see Michael Ironside who is still like one of my favorite guys to see pop up in the movie. He's still got one of the best voices in movies, Michael Ironside. Freddy Krueger, Robert Englund was in that. It was an awesome sci-fi series, miniseries at the time at first, about aliens come to Earth saying they're here to help, but really they're here to eat us. Amazing stuff. If you've never seen the original V, you should go back and watch it at some point. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, James. All right, guys, I got time for one more here today. I need to wrap up the show just a little bit earlier. I've got an appointment I got to make. But anyway, James LH writes, and yes, John, my parents did let me as an almost 11-year-old stay up and watch a show that had lizards pretending to be humans, tearing their faces off, swallowing whole small animals, shipping humans for food, and a lizard baby. And I loved it all. It was a series that got I mean, me as well. Like I was like 10, 10 when it first came out. And I was totally into sci-fi stuff. I don't know how my parents let me watch it, but my parents let me watch V. And it had some really, for a 10-year-old, some pretty gruesome stuff. Like, ah, like the baby, especially the lizard baby. That one was weird. Very, very weird stuff. Now, a couple of years ago, they did a reboot of the series V. And I think uh, Marina Baccarin from Deadpool and from Serenity. I think she was the star of that or one of the main stars. Help me in the live chat, guys, if I'm right about that. But I think Marina Baccarin was a star of that. I never did watch it. I, I don't know why. I, I just, because I love V and Talia Al Ghul is saying, yes, it was Marina. Um, I never did watch it. And I, I just never knew if it was any good. I know it was pretty short-lived. I know it wasn't very successful. But that original v man it was it was pretty damn good okay guys listen for everyone else uh Kawhi leonard um uh, i always mispronounce uh guame i always mispronounce that jesse jay wince and others do not worry i'm gonna do a companion video a little bit later today and we will get all caught up on the not too terribly many left to go here but i'm gonna get caught up on the rest of those questions a little bit later in a companion video keep your guys eyes open for that and don't forget the john campus show will be back again tomorrow as well but in the meantime guys thank you so much for taking time to make this show part of your day no technical difficulties so these jbl headphones get to live another day Never forget what happened to your cousin. Um, and a special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Cambus Show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Okay, guys, don't forget, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.